Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey, you guys, it's Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week, we're talking about planning your garden, garden that planning. Time of the year. It is that time of the year, so yeah. yeah. But first, we've little, got some chit-chat. A little chit-chat and a lot of snow. <laughs> and a lot of snow. And then rain to make it even more fun. Not nice. Like, Not yeah, cool. Feet of snow and then dump rain on top of it and see what yeah. happens. We haven't had to, but people are having to shovel roofs because of the weight. Yes. For some of the older houses because you start adding rain to snow. Uh, not good for the roofs, really not good for the roads. Our local school district does not shut down the school very often. Uh, you know, they get a lot of snow. It's not a big deal. But I hear that this morning they shut the road, the school down because the roads were so terrible. Yeah. They yeah. are well, you just get, ice. <laughs> you get, well, you get that frozen ice underneath and then you get wet slush on top. And it's almost worse, and I think it is worse at times, than just ice. Yeah. Um, it just, it moves you around. And yeah, it gets real slippery. It's a pain. It's, it's not yep. nice. So right but, along that lines, what have you been doing? Can you guess? <laughs> Pushing snow. Plowing snow. And we haven't had a lot more. I got finally the whole property cleaned up from the last 18 inch dump or so that we had. <clears throat> but now, like you said, we got a couple inches of snow and then we got rain. And what's really bad is it'll get cold again. So if you don't clean that up, you end up with tracked out frozen ice that you can't plow and it messes up the plowing the rest of the season. Plus it starts building. And then in the spring, we just have thick, thick ice that freezes and melts every night. So I really work hard, especially in our main areas of travel, to be continually getting that down so that it'll melt fast. And at least on our roads and where there's dirt, like up at the barn, it doesn't get as muddy. So, yeah, so yeah it was, I was pushing four inches of slush this morning. Uh, around just trying to get things cleaned up and that's pretty much taken up my spare time yeah, besides just you know winter planning conversations around 2022 and gardens and and uh, what are we going to plant and what are we going to do this year and what projects and all that good stuff what about you you're not telling something that's coming up and i'm going to no, tell not. on no. you no you're not i am totally no, going to tell on you his coming <laughs> he's about to have a birthday so anyways i just i had to tell well, all you guys because you know he needs a big happy birthday well and at least she didn't out me because what she's not telling you is i'm half a century <laughs> i was trying to be nice i wanted you to still it's, talk to me it, after we're off camera <laughs> no, that's good it's all right and the big five oh yeah yeah well, yeah that's a big year yeah well i'm not over the hill i'm on top of it and you know what they say. <laughs> that's what it's the chiropractor all, said. It's now. all that's, downhill from that's here. That's what my chiropractor said the other day. <laughs> and he can he can speak from knowledge. Yes, yes. Most most people who say it can, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, good. it's good. I'm doing good and happy to be where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. So, what about you? 
Well, I'm I'm watching you push around a lot of snow. <laughs> Good, you're getting to relax a little. <laughs> Sitting by the warm fire. <laughs> so just drinking coffee, yeah. looking out the window. Yeah. Um, I have really been working on organizing and getting the house cleaned up and organized. You know, this is the time of year. If I'm gonna do that, it has to be this time of year because as soon as the growing season starts, it, it's like game on. Like. We're we're going. We're moving, yeah. and that is that is the time when we disorganize and we make messes. And now I have to kind of recover all of that. So we're always kind of staying at some base level of organization, but it's feeling really good in um, in our homestead kitchen membership. We're working together to kind of get our households in order this time of year, mm -hmm. and it's really really encouraging to be working with other people who are doing the same thing. Yeah, and so yeah. I'm really enjoying it, and I'm seeing whole areas of the house like when I open a closet I go ah <laughs> it feels really good it's actually a really restful feeling and um, so I've been doing that kind of on my spare time aside from you know all the other normal oh, things normal day like in life. <laughs> Doesn't it feel so good when when you just see a space and you don't have to look at it and go oh I gotta do this yeah. I gotta do that when am I gonna get to that right. and you get that feeling that's yeah. just like oh that's nice well we, we need those moments and this is a good time of year to stack them up it really is <laughs> in place of the sunshine a little happiness inside right little yeah. joyful spots but the thing that goes along with that is as you get the spaces organized you have to create the systems and the patterns and the habits to make maintain it otherwise you just end up right back in the same spot mm -hmm. so we're kind of working I'm working with the kids retraining them a little bit making sure that we're all you know when we put our laundry in the laundry basket it goes in the laundry basket and not on the floor right next to the laundry basket you know For the, the clean laundry how about when it comes in and it's all clean and they do all the work to fold it and then you found it's find it spread out across yeah, the bedroom right, exactly. floor the clean clothes <laughs> so that that takes a little extra <clears throat> inspection and you know encouragement <clears throat> and training from mom there on that side so we've been we've been doing that and I am loving it i'm actually really enjoying that so. you know i kind of feel that way honestly about plowing like i don't really like plowing it yeah. gets old yeah but and i'm probably a little overly meticulous i can be that way right um <laughs> but man when it gets all smoothed and clean and then i can leave some tracks in it so it's not too smooth the yeah. tractors but there's no clumps it, that, that's that's kind of like that feeling I, you had. I get that. It's very satisfying yeah. to just see all that done, and it's great until you get up the next morning and there's another three inches. But. Yeah, I feel that way about vacuuming, like those vacuum stripes on the carpet. Oh, I love those. Yeah. And then they're gone. <laughs> have to do it again. <laughs> have to do it again. All right, well, um, so you can see it's just winter time. We're, we're slogging through, organizing, cleaning up, and getting ready for spring. Before we get on to some spring planning, garden planning, how about a question from Old Yeller's channel? I had a double take when I saw that this morning. Old Yeller's, that's pretty cool. Um, and this is, on, this is on the garlic salt video. Uh, okay. And they want to know, where do you find healthy salt? Ah, Good salt. Where do you get healthy our healthy salt, salt, which we do like... Healthy salt. Yeah, so you can have table salt, like most people get. It's very purified, and it's got all sorts of chemicals added to it that are like anti-clumping and bleaching and all these different things to make the table salt pretty and behave well, right? And, and your little salt shaker. Um, or you can get a salt that has good minerals in it along with the, the salt itself. So... Um, 
So that would be something like a Himalayan pink salt or Redmond real salt. We use Redmond real salt mm -hmm. in our house. We really, really like it. Um, it has a lot of great minerals in it. So it's doing more for you than just giving you salt. It's you know, really bringing up that mineral count, which we all know our modern food is very depleted in minerals. So you really want to be getting those minerals in wherever you can. So switching over to a mineralized salt Absolutely. is really, really important. You can <clears> find <throat> Redmond Real Salt most health food stores that I've been in anytime lately. Mm -hmm. They've done a good job of getting it out there. As your standard, if you order from a co-op online, that now covers the whole country, I believe, or at least all the way to the northeast coast. I don't know if they're doing southeast coast. Um, and so you can order from them. You can even get big bags of it so you can stock up. That's what I do. We also use it for animals. The animal salt comes from Redmond Real Salt. So um, we really we really like them. I really like that uh, it's a product from the United States, but also that it, it has that full mineral profile. Yeah. I really like that. Well, and I, I like Redmond's. They're a good company. I've actually mm -hmm. been talking to them, and they're going to be bringing out some new products addressing the homesteading market. Oh, um, that's pretty exciting. And so we'll we'll get you more information as that comes out. But um, they're just they're while they're a big company, um, they're they're just a great company, and they really operate like a family. And I really like that. So we've got excited to share their products a little bit. Um, so keep your eyes on that. Check them out. And I had a thought while you were talking about that for okay. for because some of these healthy salts get a little expensive, and we okay. tried something once, and you can speak to how it worked out. And I think it kind of worked and it kind of didn't, but it's something worth sharing, I think. And that is using the Redmonds. We use some of the finer animal salt uh, in the house because really it's it's still clean. It's all good. It just I mean it's clean as far as. Um, what's in it? Quality, quality. <laughs> yeah. But it's animal salt, so it's not going to be as purified as as refined, right? Um, as table salt. But it seems like it worked in some areas in the house, okay, and it didn't in others. But it's a lot less expensive. It is way so less. So there, there expensive, is some yeah. options there that, that you could use that. Um, yeah. You can tell tell us how it worked and where it didn't. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> first of all, I've got to say that Redmond itself would not be a proponent of this. They have not calibrated their salt <laughs> to their animal salt to no, human use they and they not. don't want to be liable for right, it absolutely. so i just want to be really upfront because i yeah. called them one time and directly asked them and they're like nope that's not for humans we don't even talk about it <laughs> however they okay. did let us know it was the exact same salt yeah um it just wasn't as refined so what that means is there is some grit in the salt mm -hmm. um meaning like crunchy grit it's so, not it's not table salt it's not you definitely don't want to put it on your dinner you also don't want to bake with it or put it in your cheese i have tried both of those definitely things. not the cheese yeah I remember or, that or the bread yeah. because you will get the little grit bits um and so you're not going to like that however if you are dissolving the salt into water in any form it's it like works brine, out great brining. in a brine um, in a like a soup where maybe a little bit can just stay at the bottom of the pot, mm -hmm. you know, when you're done. Um, because what happens is all of that gritty stuff is actually more dense and so it sinks down to the bottom and so it just goes to the bottom layer. So in that case, it is amazing. We also use it in place of rock salt for ice cream. Oh, we yeah. use it to salt our, our 
pathways outside. We do, and yeah. we've been doing that from for years. And we were a little worried when some of the edges, some of the areas get too salty, mm -hmm. and we haven't had a problem. And again, a few things I've learned that actually there are, while, while a lot of agriculture were worried about oversalting for mm -hmm. good reasons, particularly in industrial agriculture, but there are actually a lot of places that are deficient, and so that salt actually replenishes and uh, mineralizes, as you were talking about, for our right. own body. So we've not had any problem using it, like you said, for right. de-icing, um, using it in the in the ice cream maker, and then dumping that. Um, obviously, we're, we're careful where, but yeah. um, it's worked really, really well, and it's inexpensive, and it's better than like the store-bought de-icers and the chemicals in that. Yeah. So, Anyways, yeah, Redmond's not behind that. That was a good point. Yeah. <laughs> They're not backing that, but it is a good budget hack, and that can be really, really valuable yeah. at times. Well, yeah. we've we've had to use that yes, in we have. order to get this good quality salt. We've yeah. had to use and it at different yeah, times. There, there's times when the budget, you just need those hacks. So. Yeah. I've also um, used it for curing bacon. Yeah. Yeah, and it turned out great because yep. you end up kind of rinsing that salt off, and so the grit came right off. So there's a lot of good uses. So it's really worth, especially if you want to stock up on salt as a backup, mm -hmm. This is a great way to do it because otherwise good salt is really expensive. Like if you're looking for a 55-gallon drum, this is the way to go. All right. Yeah. Okay, Very cool. We'll yeah. Well, Yeller, you probably weren't looking for a treatise on healthy salt. But, <laughs> but there you <laughs> but have there it. there you go. You got us going. Okay, so we are talking about garden planning. It is that time to be thinking now about those green, lush gardens that are coming in, in six months, four yeah. months. For some of you, a lot sooner, you people in the south that uh, maybe even growing some things now, but it's time to get going. Before we dive totally into this subject, I just wanna say I'm really excited to let you guys know that on February 2nd, we are going to be going live for a pantry chat and we're going to be answering your gardening questions specifically. Sure. So put your gardening questions, even if they don't have to do with garden planning, put them in the comments here so we can make sure we answer those on that pantry chat. Yes. And hey, this is gonna be time stamped. And so some of these topics, some of you will be quite familiar with, but we need to cover them all um, for those of you that are learning or yeah. new. And some of you that wanna move ahead, you can look down below and time stamp and move through it if you're looking for specific things. Yeah. And so where to start? What info do you need to know first and, and where do you start with garden planning? Right, well, first, before you do anything, as you're starting your garden planning, you've got to think about when your last frost date is. If you don't know this date, you really need to figure it out. It, your average last frost date, obviously we can't predict what's gonna happen this year, but you can look at the historical information and find out averagely, averagely? Averagely, did you make a new Aver word? I think I did. <laughs> On, <laughs> On average, average. <laughs> when your last frost is of the year, that's a really important date to know. You've got to realize this is a, a kind of misnomer that's out there floating around on the internet. Your last frost date does not have anything to do with your gardening zone. It can vary wildly within a zone. So you need to know when your last frost date is. So let's clarify, zones are your lowest temperature. They're, they're, the they're, they're, yep. Your zones are created by what is your coldest, basically, so that yeah. can help you know what plants, what things can survive in your zone and how, how cold it right. can get it. That doesn't and those even would mean... be perennial vegetable or perennial plants. Right. Because you probably don't have your annual plants in that time of year. Well, you could. You could. On what zone you're right. in. Right. And, and I mean, and you, you yeah. can use zoning a little bit in your overall planning. That, that's mm -hmm. wise. You do want to use zoning in your overall property planning, what plants you're going to use, perennials definitely, even annual sometimes. But for the vegetable garden, you need to know when that, um, you know, when that last frost is so that you can plan when you're going to plant what crops. Yeah. And you need to take that information, um, 
Sorry, I'm going to back up. Before you get to that, another thing that people do, and I see recommended a lot, is to go online and find that online. Yes. <laughs> and you can find some general answers to that, but, you know, there are a lot of, our area has a lot of microclimates. Some of your areas, maybe not as many, but you really need to talk to your neighbors. You really need to get involved with your community and other gardeners and find out the closest people to you that you can, what are they experiencing? Right. And, and then keep your own records and over time you're gonna come up with your own uh, perception on that and what works for you because right. things can vary a lot. I mean, we have a lot of people that can get started weeks earlier than us, mm -hmm. sometimes three weeks or earlier right here um, just because the distance of the difference in our location right. and it gets colder. So. so if you're just brand new to gardening, you'll also want to know what grows well in your area. Now, a lot of you guys are already past that in your gardening journey, mm -hmm. so you'll already kind of know it. But especially if you're a beginner, don't try to grow something that doesn't grow well in your area. It just you'll get discouraged. It's Abs discouraging. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Right. But one of the next steps when planning that you're going to use this last frost in, um, in the spring and even your first frost in the fall is a good garden planner. We really like mm -hmm. Clyde's garden planner and um, they do a great job. And it's a tool that you use to put on the calendar where that last frost in. And then it helps you with a lot of your core varieties that you're going to be growing to know when to start them, when to transplant them. Right. Yeah. yeah, so this is, it's a couple dollar planner. You guys can get this all over the place. We'll put a link down below. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, I always kind of laughed at these, honestly. I always kind of laughed at little doodaddy garden mm -hmm. planner thingies because I thought, oh, I have all that information. I use this thing all every the time. Every year for the same, yeah, every year. I pull it out very constantly helpful. because it's just all in one really easy to use sheet. So for the couple dollars, I say grab yourself one of these grab some extra and give it to your friends or something because it's just so cheap and it will actually save you a lot of time flipping through books looking through you know google trying to find mm -hmm. the information that you need is just all right there so i really like that and clyde gives you guys our subscribers our viewers a discount i oh. think i think 10 percent. i don't remember but we'll leave you a link yeah. and the um, coupon code the word that you need to use in there and so get yourself a couple of these they're good to just have lying around they are paper thin, so they get lost. So we always have several yeah. on hand. And this is not just something <clears throat> we're talking about because it's a sponsored deal or something no, like no, that. No, we've been this is what we yeah. actually use. Yep. Like we use this hands-on every single Very, day. very helpful. And I, I've looked at a few of them and, mm -hmm. and I think Clyde's is the best out there. Yeah. Um, plus they're another great American family that we love to see doing well. So next you're going to want to know what you want to grow this year. You know, what grows well in your area and kind of index that and what you want to grow. Are you just trying to grow everything or you've got things that your family likes, what you're going to use? Make sure you're spacing those things out. You're spreading that out amongst things that you can eat fresh in season and things that you can preserve for the off season. It's really important to get kind of both of those elements going in your garden if you want to move towards a little bit more self-sufficiency this year. Yeah, so there's a balance in what you're going to grow between what you can grow well. Right. And really, if you're if you're growing for survival or for just, you know, resiliency, mm -hmm. you really want to, there's a lot of things that you can grow, and then there's a lot of things you can grow well in your area. <laughs> and you really want to start focusing on those. That's going to help you be the most successful and ultimately produce the most food. The, mo the more we're working against our climate, not that we can't do things. We grow tomatoes up here in North Idaho, right. but we don't grow near as many of them as we would even like to just because it's, it's a bigger struggle and it's not good use of space. 
when we're trying to provide for ourselves and create resiliency. So you need to focus on that, balanced with what you'll eat, yes, right? Definitely. Doesn't do you any good <laughs> if you're not gonna eat it. So if you grow potatoes well, but you're not gonna eat potatoes, well then you better find something else that grows well <laughs> that you'll eat. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, good. And so that's, uh, that's really, really key. Once you kind of have your list of things that you want to grow, then you've got to figure out where to get your seeds. Yep. Now, I'm going to be honest. Hopefully, you already have your seeds this year. Like, well, hopefully so, yeah. But it's, if it's, not... <laughs> it's really... It, the normal is really moving. January has always been the normal to start prepping. Order by February, maybe March is really, if you're on it, what you should be doing. But everything's changing. And as you're alluding to, seeds are... Everything's getting harder to get. And really you know, we're thinking about these things. We actually were thinking about them last season. Right. <laughs> and we're over ordering. We're doing a lot to get ahead on the stock because this is going to continue to be challenging. Well, and one new policy that I'm instating for our household is I want to always have at least one year's worth of seeds for everything on hand. So yeah. when I'm planting one set of seeds, I'm already ordering the next yeah. set. Um, I just don't want to be in a position where I'm without my next year's seeds for whatever reason happens in the world. Yep. Um, I just want to make sure I have them. And and just don't plan that this is going to get better. Um, the, the seed saving industry is, there's a lot of resource, there's a lot of ground that goes into this. And the demand is increasing. It's going to continue to increase for the foreseeable future, future which means it's going to take a long time for seed producers to catch up with production. Um, so this issue isn't gonna go away. It's gonna come and go, or sometimes there's a lot of availability, then it's all gonna get bought up. Yeah. It's gonna be gone for a while. Um, so you really wanna plan well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about where to get seeds because there's actually some really, really important considerations. Mm -hmm. You do not wanna go to your local big box store and get seeds off the rack. That's probably your last option. If that's your only option, then do then it. go for it. But that should be your last option. Mm -hmm. So we have a couple of different um, classifications of seeds, yep. right? So let's cover those really quickly. We have hybrid seeds. We have genetically modified seeds. Mm -hmm. We've got um, heirloom seeds. Yep. And we have open pollinated seeds. Yep. And this can get a little confusing when you're starting to see these things. So let's talk through the different kinds. Sure. First of all, let's start with genetically modified. Okay. Just stay away. Yeah, the big X, Leave right? I like that. Right. There Leave we go. We, we don't want, we don't want <laughs> no. to consume that. We don't want to support that industry. Yeah. If, if in any way it says genetically modified, toss it. Yep. Like, just don't even do it. Absolutely. Um, then you have your hybrid seeds. Mm -hmm. Which now, has been the standard, mm -hmm. what most people have used for a lot of years, so that's been changing the last decade. Hybrid seeds are not genetically modified. They're crosses done in breeding. So right. they are a natural product. They are not a mutant or anything that happens in the scientific just lab. Selective breeding. They're just yeah. selectively breeding. The problem is that you cannot save the seeds from those and expect to get the same plant that you had in the garden. Right, so it leaves the the seed producers the ability to control the seed supply ultimately hybrids in of themselves i don't think they're wrong right um you're you're just genetically selecting for something that does well in your area and in mm -hmm. one way it's given us a lot of variety but in the other way 
as Carolyn's mentioning, you can't reproduce those. You can't start to seed save those reliably, which means ultimately even your seeds in the food production cycle are controlled by somebody else. Right. And we really want to move away from that and see society move away from that. So sometimes if you're <clears throat> looking through a seed catalog, you'll just see them marked with F1. And F1 would indicate that it's a first-generation hybrid mm -hmm. cross. So that just that's kind of that term for hybrid, right? Yep. yep. Then you have your heirloom and your open pollinated mm -hmm. seeds. And in some ways, they're the same thing. There's one minor difference between them. And that is that they come from two of the same parent plants. Mm -hmm. Did I say that well? They're the same type of plant. So that means if you take the seeds from an open pollinated or an heirloom plant and you plant them, you're going to get the same kind of plant. Right. So it's a stabilized, unlike a hybrid right. or, or if you're in transition, it's a stabilized. The open pollinated is right. stabilized. It, it can be open pollinated, not heirloom. Heirloom is going to always be open pollinated. Right. But open pollinated just means that that seed has gotten stabilized. You have two like plants. You're going to get a like plant out of that, out of that seed. So that's what we like to grow specifically. Well, we have... So I, let open me finish. pollinated and let, heirloom. Let me yeah. finish with the heirloom. We also then have the heirloom, which is an open pollinated variety that has a historical story to it. Mm -hmm. It's been, that variety has been around for so many years. And there, there's actually, I feel like it's been shifting, like the definitions changed a little bit in the okay. last few years, but, and I don't remember what it is, if it was 20 years or how long it was, I think yeah. it used to be longer, and I think they're shortening it a little bit, but it's like, it's got that history to yeah. it. So it's been around and it's been used for long enough that, um, got some history to it. Yeah. So essentially in practice, they're the same thing. Yeah. Heirloom or open pollinated. What you really want to move towards is the open pollinated varieties or the heirloom varieties. Mm -hmm. If you are a brand new gardener, and especially if you're trying something that doesn't grow real well in your area, hybrid might be a right answer for you because they can have a little bit of extra vigor. They can be stronger plants and yeah. can overcome some of the adversity. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, always do the best you can, but always work with what you have Yeah, and do something instead of nothing because you right. don't have the ideal. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So now let's talk about where to buy the seeds mm -hmm. from. And this is especially true if we're talking about these heirloom or these open pollinated seeds, because you want to get seeds that were grown most local to you that you can because seeds adapt, plants adapt to mm -hmm. areas over time. So you want something that's adapted to your area. So it's really important that you find a seed company that is as local to you as possible, at least regional. A lot of times that's the best we can do. Sure. Um, but look for one that's regional, but there's a trick to this. Because just because a small seed company is regional to you does not mean that they are actually producing their own seeds in that region. Mm -hmm. Sometimes small seed companies are actually buying in their seeds and then repackaging them and selling them to you. And they may be coming from, you know, the opposite coast from where you live. They may be coming from very different areas. Right. 
So you really want to look into that and make sure they're actually growing their own seeds or they're working with local producers to grow the seeds for their company. And, and that leads into the other other you know part of the subject is just quality control. And so just because they're local, we want to support local regional, but it doesn't always mean they're doing quality. That right. They could be importing from somewhere else. Depends on where they're importing, whether it's applicable to your region or not. And and there are also some things to do with heirloom and open pollinated and quality control. And I'm not versed in all the, the terminology there, but there are some checks, some tests to make sure that you're getting consistent quality. Good. Baker Seeds, uh, which is Rare Seeds, is one of the first to do that. Um, and now lots of people are doing that. So ask questions, call them up and get to know them. It's kind of like getting to know your local farmer and yeah. you know going to see the farm and are they really doing what they say they're doing? Ask some questions if you're not familiar with the business and just get to know and make sure because there's right. definitely some names out there that you know look like they're really doing something but they're kind of doing this instead. So you know it's even more local than your local seed producers? Oh yeah. <laughs> your own backyard. That's right. Learning to seed, seed save. That That's the ultimate goal, right? And these are all skills. And like we talked about recently going off grid, we're all working on skills. We can only do so many at a time, but this is this is one to start getting up there. And Carol and I sure aren't experts, but we're starting to build skills a lot more and, yeah. and practice. And so, you know, start moving towards that goal of seed saving. And maybe you don't have a lot of time to put in it, but there are, you know, corn, beans, a lot of your lettuces Lettuce. and leafy greens are, are very easy to save. They're very yeah. simple. They don't require really any tricks and they're easy to store. Mm -hmm. um, so there are places that you can start to learn. And especially if you're, if you're already growing the heirloom or the open pollinated, then you can save those seeds and get started on that. And like you said, that's the true local right, right down to your own plot of ground because they do adapt over time. Well, and talk to your neighbors. See if you have any neighbors. If you live in a garden-heavy area, see if you can connect with anybody else who's growing heirloom, and maybe they can save some seeds, and you can save yeah. some seeds. Start a seed-saving library. Like There are so many things you can do, but bring that seed production as local as possible as soon as possible, because it's really important to be getting varieties that are going to reliably produce in your area and that you can reliably get access to seeds for. And let me come back around. That's a good place to look as well. Even if you're not seed saving yet, get involved with the communities because a lot of times right. there may be resources before you go to the regional you know, seed guy. You might have resources right there in right. your community mm -hmm. where they're swapping seeds and, and sharing with each other. And that that's a great in-between step. I mean, that's just a great step as well because we, we're not looking to build self-sufficiency or resilience just with ourselves right we want it in our community as well yeah so absolutely cool well we got a bit okay. to get through yeah. so we're long-winded <laughs> today like, but we're ho really hopefully this in. is this is uh, good information for some of you and um what to, we're going to next we kind of covered that one a little right. bit Sounds um good. covered that uh okay starting seeds indoors or outdoors um ah. either can be appropriate it depends on a variety of factors and sometimes both can be appropriate sometimes sure. you're going to be starting some things inside yep. and some things outdoors there are some plants that do really well being started beforehand. In fact, if you live in a short season area, mm -hmm. you have to start them oh, beforehand. Tomato, for us, tomatoes, cucumbers, bell peppers, pe any peppers mm -hmm. definitely have to get started early. Yeah. A lot of herbs are going to need to mm -hmm. be started early. Yep. Then there are other plants that really do not do well with the transplanting. Mm -hmm. uh, peas in general don't do great. And they start Bees fine outside. Don't do great. Corn you can get away People with, are but doing it's not more real and more happy. Corn. Yeah. It, it, I've heard a lot of people talk about doing experience, uh, experiments with them side by side, and the one they put in the ground three weeks later, yeah. 
is way better. Outgrows because they just don't like the transplant. There are a lot of good open pollinated corn varieties now, though. Mm -hmm. That's really increased over the years. And so, you know, and, and same with, with other vegetables. Um, there's a lot of good varieties now where you don't need to do that. Really, right, because they're know? shorter season. Yeah, even if you're short <laughs> grow season. well in your area. Oh, yeah, hopefully. we've got 80, 90 day corn yeah. uh, now that does real well. So if you're brand new to gardening and you don't know, you know, another thing, something that happened to us locally right here is our big garden center, our local one that does a lot of people's starts we do our own starts they just shut down yeah surprisingly it's a big, enough. big deal for our garden clubs and, and so stuff around here there are a lot of people who are now going we don't know where we're going to get these good varieties so you may want to start starting your own if you don't know what you need to start and what you don't need to start something like that yep. Clyde's garden again planner the garden planner tell you tell so, it, and it'll tell you yeah. you know when you should start it indoors if it's an indoor start and when to transplant or when to start outdoors so again great guidelines right here on the garden planner so make sure you take some time as you're going through all of this and you start looking up each type of vegetable that you're going to grow make a quick note do i need to start this inside do i start it outside what date do i need to start it inside <laughs> like you need to get a look because some things are actually really early mm -hmm. um you know you've got some of them are six weeks before sometimes even eight weeks before if you're talking onions it might even be longer than that that you need to start before your last frost date. So you yeah. want to start looking at that soon and just starting to note them on a calendar. And also make sure as you're going along that you make notes, keep a notebook as you're going through your garden season and how things are working for you because there's general ideas, but everybody's location, microclimate, everything, soil, everything's different. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to adapt as you go along year after year. So even if you're a few years into this and some of this is old hat, make sure you're taking records and and you know adapting as you go and i know one thing that like i've been learning is for a brassicas you know that, those are one things that we often start indoors right um and to, to get a start on that early season but there's a regular problem we're having with them getting too leggy yeah and they don't grow well when they get too leggy and so i think this year i'm going to experiment with doing some of those directly outdoors ah. and see how they do okay. and test out a theory that i have and so um can we do them side by side do a few started and yeah if you start a few inside at the same time a few outside <laughs> at the same works. time yeah. and see how it works so anyways that's that's just you know one little example from what we're doing but take your own notes and observe and then change your behavior as you learn year over year yeah. to adapt to your situation okay I feel like we're getting really, really long today. We may have to break this into two parts. What do you think? Sure. Okay. okay. We need yeah. to get going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to end up with an hour-long pantry chat today. So. All righty. Well, we've got a few more, and I'll bet you that you guys are going to leave some questions and comments that are just going to fuel this discussion, so we'll just keep it going. Yes. Um, Absolutely. If you're an soon. advanced gardener, um, make sure you add your tips down Absolutely. into the comment yep. section too, because you know, or if you know of any great regional seed producers, make sure you share that too. You know, if you live in this this state, this is a great um, a great company to go with. That would mm -hmm. be really good. And make sure you put any questions you have down below, because yes, we are going live February twenty. I'm sorry, February 2nd, it was twos. There were twos. 2 2 22 is where wow. we're going. Live. Okay. It's Groundhog Day. Is that the right day to talk we'll, about gardening? We'll, I guess so. We'll be seeing <laughs> so whether it's sure out or not. You leave your questions below and we will pick up the conversation again really soon. Sounds good. See you then. Goodbye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.